0: Our God is gracious to sinners. Now I want you to think about that. I want you to think about it more than just the church words. Our God, He is wildly gracious to sinners. Now I'll tell you, His grace is not understandable. It is beyond what I can see, can conceive. I start to think about it. Start to try to imagine it. His grace really goes above what I can conceive, and it goes beyond actually what I can comprehend. Our God is so gracious, so gracious to sinners. Now, I want to tell you, praise the Lord for that. Thank the Lord for that. Our God is so gracious to sinners. Some of you know that I have a disdain for what is known as Calvinism or reformed theology or doctrines of grace. Now, I've made that no secret. If you know me, you know that. Uh, I think it is a dangerous and grotesque distortion of our gospel. I think more serious than that is a grotesque distortion of our savior Jesus. I'm afraid today if you go on your computer and Google disdain for Calvinism, you're going to find my picture uh, come up <laughs> by that. Well, here is the issue. Are you listening? Here's the issue. Does God want desire will for all people to be saved. Now listen, that's a big thing. Does God desire, want, will for all people to be saved? Really? Does he honestly, does he truly want all people to be saved? And if he does, does he make a way for all, listen, all people to be saved? Or are there some, and I'm going to tell you even many, left out somehow of his grace. Are there some folks and perhaps even many who are left out of his gracious provision of salvation? Let me tell you something. Uh, here's what i found and I, I become more confident in this all the time. The more I study and the more I read God's word, whether it is in Genesis or whether it is in the book of Isaiah or whether it is in Luke or yes, whether it's in Romans, Or whether it's in the book of Revelation, I want to tell you what I see. I see that God has held true to his own word, that he desires for none to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Let me tell you about my Lord. Let me tell you about my Savior. He is loving, and he is gracious, and he is merciful to all people. And that's who he is. I want to tell you, I woke up this morning... And I started thinking about that, and I I don't know about the rest of the sermon, but I couldn't wait to tell you that. Let me tell you about our Savior. He is loving, merciful, and gracious to all people, and that's who He is. Well, today in the study of Revelation, as we are sandwiched between really the revealing of God's judgment, uh, we see His grace. And that's where we're at. We're in the seventh chapter. You're going to understand what I'm talking about here in a second. But sandwiched between the revealing of his judgment, we see his grace. Isn't that how it always is? Isn't that how how he always is? Yes, he is just, perfectly just. Yes, he's going to uphold justice. Praise the Lord for that. But he is so gracious to us as sinners. Today our message is entitled, The Lamb's Laundry Mat of grace. The Lamb's laundromat of Grace. Very strange title. We're in Revelation chapter 7. We're going to look at the entirety of the chapter, verses 1 through 17. The Lamb's laundromat of Grace. Revelation chapter 7, verses 1 through 17. I'm going to ask if you would, if you would stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's Word. Beginning in the first verse, it says this, and after this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, so that no wind would blow on the earth or on the sea or on any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun, having the seal of the living God. And he cried out with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the bond servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. From the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. From the tribe of Reuben, 12,000. From the tribe of Gad, 12,000. From the tribe of Asher, 12,000. From the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000, from the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000, from the tribe of Simeon, 12,000, from the tribe of Levi, 12,000, from the tribe of Issachar, 12,000, from the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000, from the tribe of Joseph, 12,000, from the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000 were sealed. After these things I looked and behold a great multitude, which no one could count, from every nation And all tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands. And they cry out with a loud voice saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, Amen. Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, These who are clothed in white robes, who are they and where have they come from? I said to him, My Lord, do you know? And he said to me, These are the ones who came out of the great tribulation. And they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. That's the gospel. For this reason they were before the throne of God, and they serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will spread his tabernacle over them, and they will hunger no longer, nor thirst any more, nor will the sun beat down on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb and the center of the throne will be their shepherd and will guide them to springs of the water of life, and God will wipe every tear from their eyes. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come and we praise you. You are gracious, and you are merciful. And in your Son, Jesus, you offer to us the forgiveness of our sin, restoration, and a peaceful relationship with you. Lord, we thank you for that. Lord, I pray as we begin to study your word today, I I, I pray, Lord, that as we have come in, as we have assembled Now that we have praised you in our giving, we've praised you in our singing, we've praised you in our assembling, but now I pray, Lord, that we would praise you in our hearing. And I pray, Lord, that it would be a supernatural event. I pray it wouldn't be normal, it wouldn't be a lecture, it wouldn't be something that we just mark off and endure, but I pray, Lord, the living God, the living God, through his living, active word, speaks to us today. And I pray, Lord, that we will be built up and I pray, Lord, that we'd be encouraged. And I pray, Lord, that we would have an eye for those you love, those who are lost outside of Christ. Lord, I pray that this sermon, this hour, this message would bear much fruit for the King's glory, for Jesus' glory. Lord, we tell you we love you, we praise you, we worship you. And in Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. Now, starting off this morning, I want to say this, uh, to help you, you may think, well, you're the preacher, you have to say this. I, I want to say this to help you this morning. God is speaking. Listen, in this study, in the study of the book of Revelation, God is speaking. He is speaking to you right now. He has a message for you. He is speaking to the church for sure. He is speaking to our church. And I want to tell you, as, as really just a, a, a blessing to you, if you are interested, In hearing what God is saying, in knowing what God is saying, you can't afford to miss. And I start to prepare each message, and I think about, well, you know what? If you don't understand the three messages before this, you're going to have a hard time understanding this message. I'll just tell you, if you want to know what God has for you, has for our church, uh, you can't afford to miss. Now, I'll just tell you, that's not some trick to get you to attend church. Uh, It is for your own good. Be here if you can. And if you cannot, go back and watch and listen online. But I want to encourage you, uh, for your own benefit, be sure and try and keep up. All right, we're going to jump back in today. We're in chapter 7. We're going to begin in the first verse today. Chapter 7, verse 1 says this. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, so that no wind would blow on the earth or the sea or on any tree. Now, so far, let me kind of set the context up here. So far, the Lamb, Jesus, has opened six of the seven seals on the scroll. Uh, God's judgment is being revealed. It is being uh, ushered in. It is being carried out. Uh, Where we ended last week with the opening of the sixth seal... Wild, radical, astonishing things are taking place. As you read that chapter, as you read that account, these are not normal things. They are radical things. They are astonishing things. The Bible tells us that the sun goes black. It tells us that the stars are falling from the sky. If you can try and picture that, the moon has turned blood red. It says the earth is trembling and the mountains are being moved and the islands are being moved. And as a result of all of that, the people are in an uproar. They are terrified knowing it is the judgment of God. Now, it's funny, when we look at those verses, people start to say, well, I can explain those verses uh, there was a, an eruption of a volcano, and the smoke, the soot, made the sun go black. And they give you this explanation, trying to explain it away. I think it's interesting. The Bible tells us those that are experiencing those things do no such thing. They know it is the judgment of God. Listen to chapter 6, verses 16 and 17. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, "'Fall on us and hide us from the presence of him,' Who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb? For the great day of their wrath has come, and who is able to stand? There is this terrible day. So that's where we leave off. There is this unimaginable, terrible day, and then the wind stops. There is no wind, there is no breeze. It says, on the earth, on the sea, It is calm. The trees are not shaken. They do not shimmer. It is perfectly still. The four angels here, they are holding back. I want you to notice the language of that. They are holding back. They are stopping. They are preventing the four winds. And so we open up in the seventh chapter and there is no wind. Here starting in the seventh chapter in verse 1. Uh, We're going to see there is a pause, if you will. There is an interlude in what is happening, what is going on. Now, this takes place before the opening of the seventh seal. Now, we're going to move there. We're going to get that. But there is an interlude. There is a pause here in the seventh chapter before the opening of the seventh seal. And so we see here, there is no wind. It is still, it is calm on earth, verse 2. And I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun, having the seal of the living God. And he cried out with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea. Now John reports to hear us here what he sees. He sees yet another angel. Now this one is ascending, is coming down in the east. Now that is where the sun would come up. And so where the sun would come up in the east, as the sun comes up, now this angel is coming down, is ascending. Now it says of this angel, this angel has the seal of the living God. Now I want us to think about two things here. This angel has the seal of the living God. Now the first thing, the seal was used to give or to stamp the king's insignia. And the, the the scroll that we're reading from here, that we're going through, it is sealed with seven seals. Uh, so, this is the seal. This is the stamp of the king's insignia. Now, the seal, it not only seals it, but it also shows legitimacy. It also shows ownership. It makes the document or it makes the thing valid. Uh, a lot like our signature today. Now, I think about that. Uh, you buy a house, you buy a car. You make a deal for something, Uh, for some crazy reason. We've decided if you'll sign your name, your signature, that is making it valid. That is showing that you're the party and that you're agreeing to it. Uh, It gives confidence to the document. And so in a a sort of strange way, it was similar to that. What it says here, this angel has the seal of the living God. Now that's the second thing I want us to see here. Of all the titles given to God. Now, listen, there's a lot of titles given to God. There's a lot of descriptions for God. It says here, tied to this, that it is the seal of the living God. Now, I want you to understand the distinction that's being made here. There is only one living God. Now, you can go out and you can search, and you can go out and you can see what other folks are doing, and you can go out and ponder the ways of the world, the things of the world. But I want to tell you, you're going to find there is only one living God, not carved out of wood, not made out of a mold of gold, not created in the mind of a man somewhere. There is only one living God, and that is the one true God, our God. And so it says here, this angel has the seal of God, the one true God, the living God. Do not miss this. The Word of God from Genesis to Revelation is book ended by the truth our God is God alone. And I was moving through this and I thought about the, the weight of what it says he has, the, this angel has the seal of the living God. And I, and I thought about the truth our Bible, the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation, It is bookended by the truth that our God is God alone. He alone is God. Now, he is the Lord God. He is Almighty God. He is the God who sees. He is the God who knows. Praise the Lord. He is the God who saves. But I want to tell you, the testimony of our God is this. He alone is God. He alone is God. First words of the book of Genesis, in the beginning, God. Well, understand, it is the same God. There's only one God, the living God, the one true God. Well, the angel with this seal of the living God, he cries out to the four angels, the Bible says, to whom it has been granted to harm the earth and the sea uh, to further carry out God's judgment. And so he shouts out, verse 3, saying, let me go back to 2. And I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun, having the seal of the living God. And he cried out with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the bondservants of our God on their foreheads. This seal was going to be placed on the bondservants of God. Uh, That seal, the Bible says here, will be marked on their forehead. Now, there are some that would say uh, it is going to be a Hebrew word. There's some that say it's going to be a Hebrew letter. There's others say it's going to be an X uh, that is the mark. I'm not sure about that, but I do know that they are going to be marked on their forehead, and it is going to serve as a seal for them. Now, you might ask there, well, what does that mean? It means they will be sealed, they will be marked to escape the harm that these angels are about to unleash. Now, notice the flow here. They have been granted authority to do it. They're about to do it, but before they do it, they're held up while these folks are sealed. It means they're going to be sealed to escape the harm that these angels will unleash. Now, I want you to understand this. They have already endured the harm, the events of the first six seals. But before the unveiling, the unsealing of the seventh seal, they are marked that they would be protected from the harm of the immediately coming judgment in this tribulation time. The command here is do no harm until they are sealed. All right, let's keep going on. Verse 3, I'm going to read it again. Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the bondservants of our God on their foreheads. Verse 4, verse 4, And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. I'm going to keep going. From the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. From the tribe of Reuben, 12,000. From the tribe of Gad, 12,000. From the tribe of Asher, 12,000. From the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000. From the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000. From the tribe of Simeon, 12,000. From the tribe of Levi, 12,000 from the tribe of Issachar, 12,000, from the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000, from the tribe of Joseph, 12,000, and from the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000 were sealed. Okay, as we've passed through this section, God's word tells us that those are going to be sealed. He tells us the number of those sealed, it will be 12,000 each from the 12 tribes of Israel. So, it tells us there will be a grand total of 144,000 that are sealed with this mark on their forehead. Now, I want to go ahead and just tell you right here, there is much made of these 144,000. And I'll just tell you, there's much speculation about these 144,000. Uh, there is some false teaching of the Jehovah's Witnesses and others tied to These 144,000, and we could have many discussions about the 144,000. There's folks that have written entire dissertations on this. They've written entire books on this. There's folks, and they'd be glad to have a great discussion on the nature of the 144,000. Now, I'll just tell you, some people believe they represent all of Israel, And they would say this number 12 and the variables of 12 show completeness. And so it symbolically represents all of Israel. Now, it's this number, but it's reflecting or symbolic of a greater number, and it represents all of Israel. There are some others. In fact, I'll just tell you there are many, and they believe it represents spiritual Israel or the church. And so they would say this number, again in its completeness, again in its totality, is representing all of those in spiritual Israel, those that belong to the church. From there, there are others, and they go deeper, uh, even deeper into their interpretation. Uh, They try to break down the different numbers. They try to break down uh, the meanings of the tribes. Let me just tell you what I believe. Here is what I believe. I believe we find here. In God's word, 144,000 Jewish people. And so I believe, are you listening? I believe it means here in God's word, 144,000 Jewish people. That's what I believe. I believe it's literal. I believe it's talking about actual Jewish people. Now, there's some folks that say, well, that's completely dumb. I'll just tell you, that's what I believe. And I, I believe it's going to play out. I believe it's talking about 144,000 Jewish people. Now, I believe they have been saved during this tribulation time. Uh, I don't believe that's all who will be saved, but they are saved. Uh, God, I believe here, promises protection for them In this next portion of his judgment, in the next chapters, the next few chapters, we're going to see that it appears that they can, and some of them will die for the cause of Christ. And so this is not protection for a long time, but I believe it's protection for this season of his judgment. I'm going to go just a little bit further, and then we'll get back on track. You may say, well, why are they protected? Uh, My belief is this, and we're going to have to see it, and I believe we will see it. I believe they are protected to witness or to testify to God. During this season, they're going to be protected from the harm that's about to come. And I believe they are to testify to witness to our God. Now, I believe that's why they are from the 12 tribes. They are to testify during this time. Again, we're going to see that uh, coming up. All right, let's go back to verse nine. After these things, it's about to get awesome. After these things, I looked and behold a great multitude, which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches, were in. Their hands. Now, this in verse 9 is a great picture. Now, John tells us he sees not only the 144,000 Jews who are sealed, but he says here he sees a great multitude. Now, we read across that and we think, well, that's a, that's a big number, a great multitude. Uh, it says the number is so vast that it can't be counted. Now, I don't know what, what, what that looks like. I know they have events down in Dallas, and they've had 300,000 people, and they were able to count them. I know they've had events, preaching events in South Korea that had over a million people there, and they were able to count them. But it says, this multitude, it is so great that no one can count it. Now, when I have to think about that, uh, I have to think about the stars. If you ever set out, maybe when you're a kid, and you're sleeping outside in the backyard and say, you know what, I'm going to count the stars? And you start to look around and you get up 97, 98. Uh, Did somebody bring the Oreos out here? And you get distracted and you can't count them. You ever go to the beach and you look around and say, as the sand, the number of the sands on the beach. You wouldn't even try to attempt that. You wouldn't even try to count the number that you could scoop up in your hand. That is what it says here. That is the, the message of God here. It is a multitude so great that nobody can even count them. It says this, from every nation, all tribes, all people, all tongues. Do you see how awesome that picture is? As far as you can look, there is this great multitude of all the people, and they are from all the tribes and all the groups, and they speak all the languages, a multitude from all the earth. How awesome is that? It says they are standing before the throne, the Father, and before the Lamb, Jesus. It says of this great multitude, they are clothed in white robes. Now, doesn't the picture change now? Every direction you look, there's people from every nation, every tongue, every group, and they're all dressed the same. There they are, and they have white robes, and they have palm branches in their hands. Now, we've talked about it before. The white shows holiness, purity, righteousness. Uh, The palm branches, that's a new thing in our study, Uh, Palm branches were often used in Jewish festivals. They were a sign of joy and celebration. So what a great picture this is in every direction as far as you can see. Here is this great multitude of people. Here they are dressed in robes of righteousness, of holiness, and they stand in celebration with palm branches in their hand. Verse 10. It's going to get better. And they cry out with a loud voice saying, Salvation to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Salvation to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. They cry out. The word here for cry out means they literally shout. And so they're, they're shouting. And so if you can imagine a group this large that can't be counted, and they are shouting, salvation to our God. Salvation to our God. Now that sounds a little bit strange, a little bit out of order, but let me explain it to you. From the Greek, now this is a somewhat hard phrase to put into English. Salvation to our God. The word to carries the idea of belonging or ownership. Now the New International Version actually translates it belongs to. Salvation belongs to. Our God. And that's a pretty good description, a pretty good translation. So understand when they're saying salvation to our God, they're saying salvation belongs to our God. And so that is the shout of this crowd. Now I want you to understand what they're saying here. They're saying salvation, He owns it. Salvation, he has it. Salvation, it is his. And therefore, in his grace, he alone is the one who can provide it. Salvation belongs to our God. Salvation to our God. Salvation to our God, who sits on the throne, again the Father, and to the Lamb Jesus. Now, I could go in a different sermon direction right here, but notice uh, both of them, the Lamb Jesus and the Father are both called God. This is a picture of our Trinitarian God. Let me go back to verse 10 again. And they cry out with a loud voice saying, Salvation to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Verse 11. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God. Now, we've seen this before, but it happens continually. Once again, here's what I believe, worship begets worship. And I think that is the truth. When somebody starts worshiping, I think it is contagious. I think that's one of the awesome things when we gather together as the church, when somebody says, you know what, our God is great, and our God is tremendous, and I'm here today to thank, the, thank our God for his glory, it becomes contagious. And I believe it spreads. Well, once again here, worship begets worship. And these redeemed are are worshiping. Salvation is from our God. Salvation is our God's. And they're worshiping. And once again, the angels and the four living ones and the elders, they can't refrain. They're watching this scene and they can't help themselves. They must join in. and So they fall into the worship. And it says they do that by falling on their faces. And it says, and they worship God. Now, can you picture that? There is the Lamb, and there is God the Father on the throne. And there is this great multitude, as far as you can see, you can't even attempt to count it. And there they are, and they are saying, salvation is to our God. And these four living ones, and the elders, and the angels, they are peering in, and they fall down, and they enter in to worship, verse 12. Saying, amen, it means truth, so be it. Truth, so be it, amen, amen blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever, amen. Now this this verse, this saying here in verse 12 is just like the saying of verse 10. It again is missing the English verb that means to be or to belong. Yet it is still understood in the Greek, and so let me explain this to you. Hear this, they are saying blessing belongs to God. Praise belongs to God, it is His. Glory belongs to God, it is His. Wisdom, He is infinite in wisdom. He is the giver of wisdom if anybody has any wisdom. Wisdom, it is His. It belongs to God. Thanksgiving, it belongs to God. It is His. Honor, it belongs to God. It is His. Power, it is His. might. it is His. It belongs to God. I want you to see that. Do you understand that? There is our Savior. There is our Father God. And there is the Lamb Jesus. And it is all His. All glory is His. His. All praise is His. All wisdom is His. All thanksgiving is His. All power and might, all of it, all of it, none of it is due anybody else. None of it is fitting for anyone else. All praise and glory be to our God. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And then it ends the way it started. Somebody says, "Amen." I read that I don't know who that angel, that person, that elder, I don't know who they are, but boy, I'd like to have their job. Amen. Amen. So be it. Truth. Verse 13. And then one of the elders answered, saying to me, these who are clothed in the white robes. Now, I picture John as he speaks, and he has to look around the elder says to me, these who are clothed in the white robes, who are they and where have they come from? And I said to him, my Lord, it's the word that means sir, sir, you know, and he said to me, these are the ones who came out of the great tribulation and they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. What an awesome verse. These are the ones who have come out of the great tribulation. Here's what they've done. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. These are the ones who came out of the great tribulation. These are ones who were saved. They received Jesus Christ by faith, claiming Him as their Savior, as their Lord in faith. In these terrible days of the tribulation, they've been saved. And the verse says here, and they have washed their robes and made them white. In the blood of the Lamb. Now there's a great, a great a discussion that we could have there. That really is a picture of our gospel. What have they done? They have washed their robes and they have made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Now I want to go very slow right here. Hear these people stand. Hear this great, innumerable multitude stand. And every one of them is a sinner. Every one of them is a sinner. Every one of them is a rebel. Every one of them is guilty, guilty on their own. Every one of them stands in shame, shameful in their sin. And yet here they stand in the righteousness of Jesus. And here they stand in the robes of purity and holiness and righteousness. Those robes are given to him in the grace of our lamb. And I want you to see this. And how are they made white? How are they made white? Listen to this. It is only in the death, the terrible, bloody death of Jesus as he dies for sin, as he dies for sinners. Jesus on the cross of Calvary died for them. Jesus on the cross of Calvary paid for their sin. He shed his own blood. With the shedding of blood, there was the remission of their sin. And I want to tell you, there's no other way that you might be saved. There's no other way to be saved but through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross of Calvary. And so when they stand here and they stand in his holiness and when they stand and they stand in his righteousness, it only happened by the way of the cross of Calvary. Jesus paid for their sins. Jesus purchased their redemption and he did it in his death. Let me read you a verse. First John chapter two says this, and if anyone sins... And if anyone sins, it's all of us. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. They stand in the righteousness of Jesus because his blood washed them clean. Praise the Lord for the sacrifice of the Lamb. Verse 15, moving on. For this reason, they are before the throne of God. For that reason, they are there, they are before the throne of God, and they serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will spread His tabernacle over them. The Bible says they serve. Now, the way they serve Him is they worship Him. They come and they serve Him by worshiping Him. It says here, now this is a beautiful picture of our salvation He spreads his tabernacle over them. He spreads his tent over them. Listen to me. In our salvation, there is fellowship with God. And God himself tabernacles with us. He spreads his tent over them. Verse 16. And they will hunger no longer, and they will thirst, nor thirst anymore, nor the sun beat down on them, nor any heat. There is safety In salvation, verse 17, for the lamb in the center of the throne will be their shepherd and will guide them to springs of the water of life and God will wipe every tear from their eyes. In him there is salvation, in him there is comfort. What a scene that is. What a a picture that is. What a truth we have. I'm gonna be honest with you. I read this account and it's a lot to take in. There's still, there's still some loose ends there. There's a lot to think about. There's a lot to consider. And there's just, just in what we've passed through today, there's so much to understand. And I, I, I sometimes look at that and go, how are we supposed to apply that? And I know it's a message for us. And there's a lot to think about and there's a lot to try to piece together. And you've got to go to the totality of Scripture to understand that. And I read that and I go, you know what, that, that's a big thing. That's an overwhelming thing. That's hard to understand. But I want to tell you this, as dumb as I am. When I read this, there's one thing that's abundantly clear. When I read this, there's one thing that stands out and that is this. God wants people to be saved. Did you hear what I said? I I read this, and as dumb as I am, and as much as I don't understand, I see this. God wants all people to be saved. He wants Jews to be saved. He wants to testify to them. He wants Gentiles to be saved. He wants people of all tribe, every tongue to be saved. Even in the the midst of this judgment, can you imagine that? Even in the midst of his judgment. With chance after chance after chance, these folks have had chance after chance, the same as us, with rebellion after rebellion after rebellion. His desire is still that they would hear somehow, that they would know the Lamb, that they would receive Him and believe in faith and be saved. I want to tell you, when I see this example, when I read this chapter, I'm sure our God is so gracious. Even in the midst of judgment. Stomp them out. Be done with them. Be done with them. Write them off. Even me, sorry sinner. And he is so gracious. I want you to listen to me to again to the verse I started with in 2 Peter. And I want you to see how it matches. I want you to see how it adds up. I want you to see how it rings true. 2 Peter 3.9. Peter says this, and the Lord is not slow about his promise. He's coming. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you. And you can put your name right there. He's patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Our God is so gracious. Our Savior is so gracious. Praise the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Father, we come and I praise you. I come and Lord, I want to I yell into that crowd, Amen. Salvation is yours. You provide You bought it. You secured it. And in your grace, you give it. And so I praise you. Lord, all honor is yours. All praise is yours, all thanksgiving, it's due of you, it's yours, all wisdom, it's yours. All power, all might, it's yours. Praise you, Lord, praise you. Lord, I I pray as we've passed through this, I pray that we've been encouraged. I pray that we've been maybe awakened. I, I, I pray for some that do not know you. I pray, Lord, that they've been stirred to receive Christ Jesus as their Savior in the preaching and the hearing of this gospel. Lord, I pray for us as a church that we would become urgent, we would become adamant about what we're to do in these days that we live in. Lord, I I pray that you have spoken. I believe you have. I pray that you continue to speak. Lord, I pray in this time of invitation that you would move. And I pray, Lord, that it would bring much glory to you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to close with a time of invitation, a time of response. I want to tell you there's there's, there's two questions that I have right now out of this. First is this, If you trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior? He loves you. He knows you. He sees you. And you sit there and say, well, you don't know about my past. Well, you don't know about my sin. You don't know about the secret things. You don't know about the things everybody talks about. You don't know about the distance I am right now, how far I've run. I want to tell you this, God knows you and God loves you. and He's paid your way through Jesus on the cross of Calvary. I can say that in confidence. That's what his word says. He's paid for your sin on the cross of Calvary. Now listen to this. He offers you salvation, the forgiveness of sin, by your faith in him, by trusting him. What it means is this. You say, well, I see who he is. I believe who he is. And my response is, is a faith response to turn, repent of my sin, and turn to Jesus, receive him in faith. The Bible says, listen, if you'll do that, he'll save you right now. He'll forgive you of your sin. He'll, he'll, he'll take your record of wrong and he'll put as far as the east is from the west. He'll restore you. He'll renew you. You'll be redeemed right now if you'll trust him in faith. If you've never done that, do that right now. If you've never understood that, listen, let's, let's come. Let's talk it out. Let's settle it today. If you've never done that, do that today. Second thing is this. As we pass through that and we see that is his heart, he loves sinners and he's gracious Merciful to sinners, if that is his heart, how's that not our heart? And my second question is this if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, who is on your heart that needs to know Jesus Christ? And I want to tell you, as the days grow short, it it ought to be an increasing burden to us that there's a lot of folks in our family, and there's a lot of folks at our workplace, and there's some folks that live on our street, and there's some folks that are probably going to be at our family reunions and they don't know Jesus. And I want to tell you, if our God is so gracious and kind to sinners, how would our hearts not mirror His? Who are you thinking about? Who are you praying about? Who will you venture out to tell the gospel of Jesus Christ to? We're going to end in just a second with a time of invitation. If God is speaking to you, if you need more information, you come. Let's settle. If you're here and you say, you know what, I, I, I want to tell the church my decision to follow Christ, we'll set a day of baptism. It'll be a great day of, of celebration. Maybe you're here and you've trusted Christ, but you've never followed in believer's baptism. and It's not part of your salvation, it testifies to it. And Maybe you need to come and say, especially in these days, I need that testimony to stand. You come, we'll set a day, we'll celebrate. We'll point to Jesus through it. Maybe you're here looking for a church home and you've prayed about it, but God has led you here. You come as well. Together we'll stand on his truth, his word, his gospel. and We'll, we'll, we'll praise him and we'll worship him, but we'll go look, spreading the good news of a risen Savior to a lost and hurting world. That's what we'll take up until he comes back. Maybe you're here and you want to come pray at an altar. Maybe you want to come pray with me. Uh, Nothing is too big. Nothing is too small. Uh, As we stand and sing, if God is speaking to you, if he's spoken to you, if you need more information, you come on. I'll meet you here at the front. You come on. I'll meet you here.